0: Hello and welcome to Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast, a podcast where we discuss all things relating to your well-being, including interviews with experts in the fields of nutrition, physical and mental health, and my five-minute Food Facts series. I'm Amanda Hayes, your host, a lawyer turned nutritionist with a passion for well-being. Before I introduce today's guest, I will mention that although I will often be speaking with experts. Any information or advice provided in Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast is not intended to be used to treat, cure or prevent injuries or medical conditions, and is not a substitute for advice from your own health professionals. Today I have the honour of being here with Australian Olympian Jessica Trengove, Jess barely needs an introduction to Australian listeners, but if that is not you, Jess is one of Australia's most successful distance runners. She specialises in the marathon and has competed in two Olympic Games, including the 2012 London Olympics and the 2016 Rio Olympics. She's also competed in the Commonwealth Games and numerous other world title events. So today we'll be chatting to Jess all about running. Today I am here with Jessica Trengove, Australian Olympian, marathon runner. So Jess, hi, and thank you for coming into my podcast today.
1: Thank you. I'm really excited to be part of it.
0: <laughs> Great. So Jess, you grew up in Narrowcourt, which is in the southeast of South Australia, and I believe the population's around 6,000. So people, for people who are not familiar with that part of Australia, can you describe a little bit about Narracourt for us? What's it like and what's the major industry, for example?
1: Sure. Well, my mum and dad moved there in uh, 1986 and I was born the following year. Um, My dad got a job with the Department of Agriculture down there. He's a vet, um, particularly a a big animal vet. A big animal
0: vet. Mm. Yeah, so
1: sheep and cattle. And uh, it's just, it's an incredible community and it's one of those towns wherever i am in australia and i say that i grew up in narracourt someone has a connection with it it's it's quite amazing in that way and it's a really sporting community that's what brings everyone together it's what we talked about at school (laughs) and um on the weekends it was it was just our way of life we'd go out to whichever town was hosting the the footy or netball game Mm -hmm. um that day and in the summer it was tennis and uh we were just naturally really active, and I think I I took it for granted how easy it was to be active. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. And um, so, what are the surrounding towns? Is Keith and Penola? Yep, Penola. Mm. Uh,
1: you've got sort of the Millison and whatnot. But yep. our netball football league was sort of um, it went from Eden Hope, Apsley, to Border Town, Keith. We had Lucendale. right? Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, fantastic. So quite a bit of driving around on the weekends then for sure. for sport. Yeah. Mm. And
1: you sort of had farming land, but also a lot of vineyards, depending on which direction you headed in. <laughs> yeah. So you, did you live on a farm or not? We didn't, but we had quite a big block in town. Yeah. So we definitely had a menagerie. Yeah. Dad would bring home, <laughs> you know, lambs that farmers didn't want to keep that we'd um, oh. look after. We had chooks, <laughs> geese, guinea pigs, frogs seahorses hopping mice um yeah you name it we probably had it at one point (laughs) what a wonderful childhood to
0: be surrounded by well all that space and all those animals and you have a brother and sister I believe so did you the three of you play a lot of sport together like kick the footy and that kind of thing
1: we did yeah. yeah so um your
0: brother's a footballer isn't he
1: yeah, he mm. played AFL for um, the Melbourne Demons and then Port. Um, my mum, her business was, I guess, teaching people to swim, so we had an indoor pool oh, cool. in our backyard. So after school um, we'd have other kids sort of at our house and we'd be playing, you know, basketball, cricket, um skateboarding, uh, not skateboarding, sorry, rollerblading, uh, doing sort of whatever we felt like doing. We just um, had a lot of mates to play with and without realising at the time, I guess, laying the foundations to be able to, I guess, enjoy sport later on.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, that was one of my questions I was going to ask you about the sporting culture, but you've already answered that. But I will say that growing up in Adelaide, which is the nearest big city to the southeast where you grew up, grew up. Um, we always thought that the borders, the the kids that came in from the country, they were always good at sport. (laughs) It was just the reputation that I think that came with the borders. And I think that was partly because there was just a lot of determination and sport was part of your life. Mm. So Jess, you played a lot of sport. I believe you played netball. But when did you realize that running was your sport?
1: Well, growing up, Basically, I wanted to reach the the highest level I could in a sport. Well, in all of the sports I was playing, really, um, I initially thought I wanted to be a swimmer when I watched the 96 Olympics and saw Susie O'Neill at the cool. top of the dice. So I thought, wow, she's amazing. And I think it was just her big, bright smile yeah. and the energy she sort of Fantastic. exuded. I was like, I'd love to go to the Olympics. And because we had a pool in our backyard, I thought, well, I'm going to try and start training. And um, I got an alarm clock for my birthday. And I... <laughs> I think I got up twice and I don't know, swimming doesn't come very naturally to me. So I I, I didn't end up pursuing the swimming. I loved my basketball, but I think running was my strongest, I guess, uh, my asset in in basketball. And then netball, I really did dream of, you know, being a part of the Adelaide Thunderbirds and I would cut out clippings and... Um, when I met, you know, some of the state league girls on a netball trip, I was just absolutely starstruck. But at the age of 21, I sort of realised I wasn't progressing to the next level in netball. I was playing for the Adelaide Contacts. I was living here at that point in Adelaide. And um, I went on an overseas trip. I was midway through my physio studies at uni. I uh, went with a friend and sort of thought, well, if I don't miss running when I come back, I might sort of just – yeah, I wasn't really sure. It was a bit of a trip to yeah. find myself, I guess, and i I came back and my running coach uh, retired. And the netball was still sort of there ticking away and a new uh, coach stepped in, Adam Didick. And I guess he came in with this new enthusiasm mm-hmm. and, and belief and I ended up uh, seeing some progression with my running and decided at that point that that's the sport I was choosing to try and take to the highest level. So it was literally at my 21st birthday on the night of Usain Bolt's final at the 2008 Beijing Olympics that I um, sort of said, okay, I'm going to stop playing netball at the end of this season to focus on running.
0: Fantastic. So you're obviously um, lucky and talented to have a choice between the two. (laughs) Um, At the end of the day, though, when you're pursuing a professional sport, you really just have to pick that particular one, don't you? And dedicate all your effort to that. Mm.
1: At some point, I think um, as a child, I'm really grateful that I did play a variety of sports because I think that changing direction, jumping, yeah. the ball skills, it helps you to develop strengths, um, I guess, physically, but also avoid that um, pressure that young, say, runners can put on themselves if they start specialising too early. Yeah,
0: that's that's a really good point, actually. And, and running is probably something that, um, I mean, you, I, I don't want to say you can come to it later, but... You can decide to go professional, probably in distance running as you did in your 20s.
1: Yeah, and it's one of those sports, there isn't really a clear financial pathway. You know, when you get mm. into the AFL system or yep. with cricket, you can sort of see what the career would look like. Uh, as a runner, I felt really grateful that I'd finished my physio studies sort of at the time that I started taking running more seriously because you do need to generally generate a bit of an income on the side so to be able to go part-time with my physio work increase my running and then as more running opportunities came up where I could get some prize money and appearance fees and a few ambassador opportunities I could dial back my physio work even more to really focus on all of the one percenters yeah oh fantastic
0: so if we do talk um, specifically about your professional running you competed in and won Many well-known races in Australia, like the City to Bay in Adelaide, the City to Surf in Sydney, and the Melbourne Half Marathon. And I believe that was on your way to running your first marathon in Nagoya, Japan, in 2012. So it sounds like, from what I've read, that that was a really significant race for you. It was the fastest ever debut marathon by an Australian woman, so congratulations. (laughs) At that race, you clocked uh, 2 hours, 31 minutes and 2 seconds, which was almost a minute under the A qualifying standard. So how did you feel leading up to that race, your first professional marathon? Were you nervous?
1: Yeah, it was mixed emotions. Firstly, I have a lot to thank my coach, Adam Diddick for because Mm -hmm. he's the one who had the foresight to see that the marathon would be my um, best event. So he encouraged me to write down my ultimate goal in 2008 when he started coaching me. And I was afraid to write down the Olympics because I thought that was a bit far-fetched and ridiculous. But he actually told me to physically write that down. And it's really cool looking back now on that um and then it was a series of events so in 2011 i was really hoping to make the world cross country team and i missed out and was pretty gutted after that i'd sort of had some success in 2010 i'd um run my first half marathon and i'd i'd really enjoyed that event and i'd been to the world half marathon championships and had a bit of a taste of representing australia so in 2011, when I missed out on that team, um, Adam, my coach, sent me off to Canberra for this handicapped event to try and, you know, boost my, get my mojo back. Mm-hmm. And he organized for me to um, meet with uh, a couple of distance greats. So, Dee Stella and wow. Sean Crichton. And I was very inspired. Um, Fantastic. Chris Wardlaw and... They sort of said, so what, what's your big goal? I mean, the Olympics is coming up next year. Are you going to have a crack? And I was like, what, for?" And they said, well, you know, only two girls have qualified for the uh, the marathon and Australia, every country has three spots mm-hmm. allocated to them. Um, they said, you know, the 3K steeplechase and I was a bit, blown away by the concept but went back to Adelaide and spoke to uh, my coach and he said well we've got nothing to lose do we let's let's start stepping up the training and aim for a marathon and at a similar time my mum and dad because my brother had been drafted to the AFL in Melbourne at the age of 19 he'd moved out of home and mum and dad were looking to host an athlete at their house yeah they um, inquired with the AFL and because they were a long way from the training venues, um, they didn't get an AFL player Mm -hmm. but instead were allocated a cyclist who was trying for the 2012 London Olympics. And uh, so because she, Amy, her name is, was living with mum and dad, I sort of got exposed to somebody who was chasing, you know, the Olympic qualifier and that really inspired me. So this lead up to the Nagoya Marathon, I just, I guess I felt, really excited by the challenge and did feel like there was nothing to lose. And it wasn't until probably the week beforehand that I suddenly felt quite daunted by the idea of running that far and at the speed I was aiming for. So I had to try and run faster than two hours and 32 minutes. Uh, But you know, my coach and I went over to Japan. We didn't understand the language. We were quite lost a lot of the time. We went on this bus tour the day before, um, to see the course. And I think it was an hour and a half in or something. We didn't understand a word of what they were saying. We we got off the bus and caught a taxi. I went out to dinner and I didn't know really what I was ordering. And Ended up getting this chili, garlicky oh, no. broth, and all you can eat kimchi, which, in hindsight, was probably some of the worst things I could have eaten oh, the night before. Yeah. But kimchi. I was, <laughs> I was alright. <laughs> um, so it was an incredible experience, and I just remember feeling really fragile and vulnerable in the final. Oh, it was probably seven kilometers, but knowing that this could be my Olympic dream that was about to come alive, and so. I think I just held on to that dream and that vision of going to the Olympics. And when I entered the stadium and saw that I was going to run under the time, cool. it was, yeah, real goosebump kind of moment.
0: <laughs> and did your race go to plan in terms of your, you know, your pacing and everything?
1: It did. Yeah. I had, uh, my splits that I was aiming to hit written on my, um, uh, the Um, back of my hand Mm -hmm. and it was a freezing morning. So I wore gloves. So I couldn't actually see the splits, which probably wasn't such a bad thing. Mm -hmm. I, I took my, you know, my water and my gels as needed every five kilometers. And I got to the halfway point and saw that I was on pace. I was on my own at that point Mm -hmm. in the race. Uh, I remember my shins. So my tibialis anterior muscle really starting to sort of seize up and, becoming quite worried that I was only halfway and that was happening so I just remember thinking I've got to push off more through my calf like Mm -hmm. use my calf muscle and uh that kind of cleared up and then it was probably in the final three or so kilometers my hamstrings I just remember were really twinging and grabbing just the tendons down you know, near my knee and thinking I've got to take these corners pretty carefully and there's no way I can afford to trip over or tread on an uneven bit of road because I I thought if I fell down, I'd never get up again. So, uh, yeah, I think at 34 kilometers, I saw my coach and he said I was on pace and that really injected some extra motivation in. And I think I, you know, picked up the pace a bit at that point and was able to sort of pick some people off at the end and that you know he added to my motivation. Wow
0: and I guess I'm just listening to that story I can see how being a physio is beneficial to you. Absolutely yeah. Because you can sort of self-diagnose and change the way your your style a little bit to accommodate for the potential injury which Mm. luckily didn't happen.
1: (laughs) That's happened a bit in marathons when something new or even an old injury that has sort of cropped up again in the later stages, I think because I kind of know the anatomy and what's mm. potentially going on, I can sort of reassure myself that, no, that that's okay, I'll just have to do this, you know, when I finish to yeah. <laughs> sort that out. Um, the tricky one is when it's toenails because even as a physio, uh. there's not much you can do when a, a toenail goes. That <laughs> yeah. that pain's excruciating. <laughs> yeah, that really hurts.
0: So, Jess, when you realised that you had gone under the... Um, qualifying time. How did you feel then?
1: Well, I, saw, I crossed the line and I saw my coach. So it was just Adam and I over there in Japan and I was o- over the moon. It's um, It makes me excited just remembering those feelings and the emotions and he was equally excited and he he got me on the phone to my family which was incredible and then um, a representative from Athletics Australia who said congratulations and I remember just standing on the spot having a chat to a few people on the phone and then I went to walk (laughs) (laughs) and I honestly could hardly move my calf muscles had just seized up so I limped uh, over to yeah the room where all of my clothes were and um, tried to get a protein bar in and I really didn't want to eat I couldn't stomach anything I'd been planning all of these things that I was going to eat afterwards that I'd been looking forward to and I really (laughs) didn't have much of an appetite for a while which has continued to be the case with each marathon you sort of you go into the race being quite disciplined and thinking oh, afterwards I'm going to have xyz and then you finish the race and you're like oh (laughs) yeah maybe not that hamburger right now
0: (laughs) You obviously were aiming to um, make the Olympic team for the 2012 London Games, and you did achieve that. So how how was it when you actually raced for Australia at the Olympic Games? Was it as amazing as you had imagined?
1: It was, actually. I... Um... What, we were very fortunate as a family to go to the Sydney 2000 Olympics. Oh, and cool. at that point, I just became obsessed with the Olympics. I mean, I'd loved it as a child growing up as well, but that experience was just you know, one of those lifetime, um, moments that I'll cherish. And, uh, I'd watched the women's 5,000 and Benita Willis, uh, actually came into the grandstands afterwards. She was about 21 at the time running in the 5k and she signed my Olympic ticket and, um, had a little, you know, chat with my sister and I, and that wow. was incredible. So she became, I guess, a sporting hero mm-hmm. of mine. So then, in the 2012 olympics in london lining up beside her in the marathon she was uh one of my team members it was a wow. real um, pinch yourself moment and so with benita and lisa we sort of took off and the hardest thing i found was the noise from the crowds i do like to sort of soak up the energy um from the crowds but i guess i wasn't used to it at that point and i found it quite overwhelming yeah i'm sure with the, whole, the entire course just lined with spectators. There was nowhere just to tune out and, you know, go into your own thoughts. You were constantly being stimulated by wow. all of these people, which was quite draining. And uh, at the 13-kilometre mark, I remember suddenly feeling... It was almost a little panic attack, I guess. I was really overwhelmed by it. I I just had my first gel, and suddenly I just thought I I want to run off to the side and yeah. go and hide. I just realized I was on show, and it was just such the enormity of the moment sort of caught up with me. But I was able to, I guess, utilize some of those mental strategies and not think, not analyze my situation too much, and just give myself some basic cues to to get back in. Into focusing on, you know, relax your shoulders. One, you know, those process, I guess, goals that help you to um, avoid being daunted by a big situation.
0: Yeah. And it is amazing, I think, how much as an athlete you rely on things that are not necessarily just your physical attributes so you were talking about your the cues you were using and the ways to calm yourself down there's there's so much involved isn't there in the mental state i think um is a very important factor in running a good race isn't it
1: it really is and having the ability to switch because it is important sometimes to to let the emotion in and use that to fuel you but at other times you really need to just concentrate on the task at hand and so I think an asset for athletes is being able to know which strategy to use then and to be able to transition between them seamlessly.
0: (laughs) Yes you then went on to run the um, Commonwealth Games in Glasgow in 2014 where you won a bronze medal so congratulations (laughs) and you again won a bronze medal in 2018 at the Gold Coast Commonwealth Games So that must have been exciting on home ground to do that. It
1: was, and they were two very different bronze medals. The one in Glasgow came uh, after an injury, my first major, I guess, running injury. I had a stress, um, a bone stress injury in my second metatarsal, which had limited my preparation to being a lot of cross-training, which I found really tough. I was used to preparing for a marathon with a lot of running, and instead I found myself in the gym you know, on the rowing ergo, the elliptical, I was doing some boxing, sitting on a yeah. fit ball. And so to go into that race, really unsure of whether I was well-prepared, mm. but just to trust that I was fit and to be open to a good result and to come away with a, a PB and a bronze medal, that was one of the most emotional races I've ever had. And then... Fast forward four years um, on the Gold Coast, I'd had the best preparation ever in terms of running, and everything had just gone to plan. Fantastic. But mm. the race itself was really unusual. You know, it was warm conditions. We started slowly, tactics came into play, and I had high expectations going into that race. So I'd you know, had more, I guess, self-imposed pressure and um, at 37 kilometres when I wasn't sure whether I'd finished the race, I was feeling really empty. That was very scary because I so badly wanted to win a medal in that race and um, to finish the race and to win a medal was, you know, I was so happy, Uh, but there were times in that race where I really doubted whether that would happen.
0: (laughs) So you had to dig deep from the sounds of it before you won the bronze medal at the Gold Coast, you also ran um, the Olympic uh, Marathon in 2016 in Rio. Mm -hmm. So do you have any standout memories of that race?
1: Rio, I'd learnt a lot from London. Um, You know, we talked about the Olympics um, and I said it was an amazing experience, but I also learnt how important it is to enjoy... I guess the process and the, I guess making the most of the little opportunities in the the lead up to an Olympics because I saw, you know, some really devastating moments at the Olympics too, where athletes were disqualified or yeah. fell ill before the race, and it was a real wake up call as to, uh, you know, how important it is to make sure. One that you're on this path because you want to be, and yep. two that you're um, keeping, you know, an appropriate balance for you in life because sometimes things don't go exactly yeah. to plan. So when I got to Rio, I feel like I really had that side of things sorted. I uh, really uh, made the most of every moment at that Olympics, and I was switched on until race day. And um, after the race, I made sure I, I sort of spent some good time in the village, enjoying supporting my teammates, but also some time outside of the village with family and friends who'd travelled over and I just sort of managed to make the most of the entire experience, whereas in London I think I was just a bit stressed, um, not sure how to um, quite manage all of the opportunities being thrown at me.
0: (laughs) And you were young and it was your first Olympic Games and, you know, there was a lot going on.
1: Yeah, and you just find that there are so many things you can be doing and you don't want to let anyone down. You want to be cheering on your teammates, but then the people who have traveled over to support you, you want to be spending time with them too, but you don't want to miss this, um, you know, could potentially once in a lifetime opportunity to be walking around, you know, the village and meeting some, you know, fascinating oh, people. Amazing. Too,
0: so. <laughs> so, on this podcast, I've interviewed two other people who are two Olympians, Amber Halliday and Hamie Fernandez, who are both rowers. Mm-hmm. Um, Amber's been to two Olympics and Hamie's been to three. And they say that in the sport of rowing, it typically takes two or three Olympic Games to achieve your best performance. And partly mm-hmm. you've alluded to that. You've you learned a lot between London and Rio. Would you say the same thing about marathon running? Does it take a while to reach your peak? I guess.
1: Mm, I would certainly agree with that, uh, Amber. Actually, when I was on the verge of being selected for the London Olympics, I had to wait. It was actually really nerve wracking. One girl was having an attempt at the qualifier literally like the day before. The, oh, right, just before the cutoff. So. I was nervously waiting to see whether she'd run faster than me. And in sort of that time, Amber um, took me and we caught up for a coffee and she had her laptop there and just showed me photos of the Olympics and the experiences she had had and just got me really excited. So that was <laughs> lovely. I I just remember Amber, um, yeah, her energy and excitement. Uh, but I think because the marathon is such a technical event, yes. uh, you really can – just find extra seconds and, um, in terms of the actual race itself, run a much smarter race through experience because you've got, you know, pacing, hydration, fueling strategies, uh, yeah so much to consider it's a lot more than just the training so by experiencing the race itself one you get the fitness from having run a marathon and the strength that comes with that but two just that understanding and confidence that um you're approaching it in the best way
0: yeah well two things come to mind with that um you said you get the fitness from it because i believe in training you even in your long long runs, you don't actually run the marathon distance. Is that correct?
1: I don't personally. No. I know some people prepare for marathons right. by running 40 plus kilometers, okay. but I generally won't run further than about 35 to 37 kilometers. Yeah, it's
0: still a long run. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the other thing you said was the tactics. So That's really fascinating because I think someone who's watching a running race, I mean, I sort of know that there are tactics going on, but I don't really understand what they are. So can maybe you just tell us a few things about that?
1: Well, one example that comes to mind is uh, Sinead Diver, who's about to run mm-hmm. the London Marathon this weekend. So she's one of Australia's fastest yeah. marathon. Yeah, and she's forty-two, right? She is, yeah, she's incredible. Her. So she was talking about the London Marathon uh, last year, where she ran two twenty-four eleven. And she had a pace group that she planned to run with, but they were slowing, surging, slowing, surging, ah. and she just said it was so draining. So she ended up just running an even pace on her own, and she she ran a lot of the race on your own, which you can imagine physically, you're not getting any of a any wind block that. or assistance, yeah. and mentally yeah. you don't have, I guess, that comfort of being in a pack with yes. other runs runners around you, where you can sort of just switch off. So uh one strategy is trying to I guess run an even pace when you're wanting to run a fast time but knowing that in those championship races if you want to match it with the the top girls you need to be able to run faster and slower and kind of and would you if you want to be
0: in the front pack or one of the front packs I guess you need to keep them in your sight the whole time like it's true you can't get too far behind is that
1: yeah, I mean, you've obviously got a long time to sort of catch up if you yes. do, if a bit of a distance forms, but if they're going to finish strongly, you want to be right up there yeah, ready exactly. to go when the go time is. And one of the other strategies is in the drink stations, you know, making sure you've got a good line to your sure. um, your water bottle and your gel because if you miss that, it can be quite oh, yeah. um, damaging. And sometimes when you're in a big park, it's chaos there. There are elbows be. flying. Yeah,
0: everyone's trying to reach because you have your own specific –
1: that's right. Drink
0: and fuel. And yeah. Um, I do want to ask you about fueling, but before I do that, I'd like to talk a bit about your PB. So, your PB, I believe, is this correct? It was at the Scotiabank Toronto Waterfront Marathon in 2018. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so, what, what is it?
1: So, it's 225.59. Wow. I just snuck under yeah. 226.
0: And what's, what pace were you running uh, on average? Uh, I haven't calculated I it's that around
1: 327
0: <laughs> oh my goodness wow um congratulations that is amazing do you have of all the marathons you've run um do you have a favorite memory from any of them
1: I have a few favorite memories I mean that first one in Nagoya was very special yeah um the the 2015 Melbourne Marathon when I qualified for the Rio Olympics, my family was there watching. That was really special. But I have to say the Commonwealth Games also being on home soil and the challenges I spoke about before and uh, the most recent one, the Toronto one was really special, not only because it was a PB but because I'd been with my husband um, in – Europe for, I think it was three months prior to that. We decided to have a bit of a trip away and, um, just chat about what we wanted to sort of set our sights on for the upcoming years. And, uh, I ended up going into that race, having done a lot of the preparation on my own. And I guess I, Had challenges along the way because of that, you know, lacking motivation some days to train and having a bit of self-doubt. And Dylan just said, no, you've got this, you're really fit. And he believed in me. And I just went out there and just felt like I had no pressure. I just really got into the race and I feel like I was sort of the physically and mentally toughest runner I've sort of been in any race out there that day and finished. I sort of came home um, feeling like I had you know more to give one day but we'd also made the decision that we'd try and start a family yes. so it was this strange um, special feeling of like I've just run a PB I feel like I've got more potential yeah. in this event but we're about to embark on a new exciting chapter and um, we'll go back to those goals once we've got this one sorted so yes yeah.
0: exactly I mean that's always an issue um, male athletes don't have to face it well, certainly not in the same way as Mm -hmm. women um so you had billy in november last year Mm -hmm. and how has that impacted on your training jess
1: so definitely the broken sleep and sleep deprivation makes uh it makes things more challenging i guess i find it hard to um I, I'm always motivated in the mornings. Like mm-hmm. even if I've had very little sleep, I still feel really fired up and fresh in the mornings. It's more in the afternoon. Uh, I find it tough. It really hits me. And I guess too just I feel a bit bit more vulnerable to illness and injury because yeah. of the lack of sleep. So that's been a challenge. Um, balancing breastfeeding and training, I've oh, definitely yeah. had to really focus on my diet, getting in enough calories and eating a really nutritious diet so that I'm getting the, you know, vitamins and minerals I need and that Billy needs. Yes, yeah. Um, so staying on top of things like iron. And uh, and then logistically it's obviously challenging because t- to train, someone needs to be looking after yeah, Billy. Yeah, of so, course, <laughs> yes. My husband, he works um, full-time and he runs as well. So And our parents um, work full-time so we're sort of relying on other babysitters and... Um, yeah and I
0: guess the thing about that is you then have to train at the moment that it presents it's the opportunity presents so when the babysitter's there even if at that particular moment you don't really feel like it it's like (laughs) well this is my opportunity I have to go and do it
1: yeah and that's always been the case I guess with um, my group team tempo we train at very set times so Mm -hmm. I've I guess become accustomed to knowing that, um, this is the time I'm going to train. I need to be ready at that time. But finding babysitters who are available at those times and venues has been a bit challenging, but at the same time, it's, you know, been really special too. So Amy, the girl I was telling you about earlier, who um, was the cyclist living Mm -hmm. with mum and dad. Well, she's just retired from Olympic cycling and so she's been able to um, look after Billy on one morning of the oh, week fantastic. and they've got this special little bond now yeah. and um, it's been really nice to yeah. see. <laughs> oh,
0: how lovely. And about your training, so what, what does a typical um, training week look like for you and does it include any cross-training? Cross
1: Uh, So since giving birth last November, I do incorporate some cross-training now. So that's on the elliptical Mm -hmm. trainer. So I tend to run, uh, my key sessions are on a Tuesday and a Friday morning now, and then I have a long run on Sunday. So a key session might involve, uh, what was Tuesday, for example, was a 20-minute warm-up, and then I did a four-kilometer pickup run where I picked up Um, The pace each Mm kilometre. Then I had two one kilometre efforts and then four 500 metre efforts with a couple of minutes of recovery in between and then a 20 minute cool down. So I have, yeah, two of those days where I have a key session. Sunday long run at the moment might be an hour 40 to two hours, but in a marathon phase, it would be two and a half hours with potentially some marathon pace within it. Mm -hmm. Um, On Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday, I just have a sort of a morning run and then potentially a cross-training session right. in the afternoon. And then on Saturday, that's my easier day yep. where I just go for a little jog and I do two gym sessions a week. Okay, for so some and conditioning. strength. Yeah, yep.
0: fair. I think that's an important part mm. of it. And especially, I mean, you're young, but as you get older, it's really important to... To keep that up.
1: Well, I think it enables you to handle the training load. Yeah. It's not so much for performance in distance running, it's actually sorting out any imbalances and maintaining yeah. mobility so that you can achieve your running training. <laughs>
0: yeah, it, that's right. It's all about supporting your running training, isn't it? And do you train with others within that group?
1: I do, yeah. yeah. It's been a little bit harder since um, becoming a mum to coordinate runs with the group but Tuesday and Friday mornings and Sunday mornings I I make sure I've sort of got the group support because I really um, value that and can push myself that bit harder when I've got others around me
0: (laughs) yeah and it is more fun isn't it to to run with others so you have a coach do you have other support around you as well like do you have a sports dietitian or do you Mm. I mean you are a physio but do you see a physio as well and that kind of thing
1: yeah I'm grateful to have a a big support team, and the South Australian Sports Institute and Athletics Australia are part of that. So at SASI, the Sports yep. Institute, I've got a strength and conditioning coach who writes my programs and liaises with my physio, um, Max from Physiosmart. So excellent. Where I've yeah um, worked as a physio, and I see a podiatrist, but I work really closely with my um, sports nutritionist mm-hmm. um, or dietitian and sh- Liv. Um, she not only helps me with my day-to-day nutrition and helping me to maximize training adaptations through you know getting protein and carbs in at the right times but but, um Mm -hmm. also through motherhood you know getting enough calories in and whatnot but then specifically with race day she'll help me in the two days leading up to a marathon put together a a nutrition plan which Mm -hmm. I stick to to the to the T she literally write medium banana and I eat a medium banana (laughs) like it's um, very specific but I like that because then I can just switch off and just that's
0: right someone else has done the thinking and there is a lot of calculation behind that she'd be calculating how many grams of carbohydrates and all those things so it's done for you you have mentioned in the races that you you know, you know fuel and you take on your water. So what, what fuel do you like? What's your preference in, in a race? What do you like to, do you like gels or? Mm,
1: I've played around with it over the years. So the gel brands I've used have generally switched every two to three marathons mm-hmm. because I get sick of you one get, particular yeah. gel and move on to another one. So Uh, I do take gels about every 10 kilometres and I also take um, a fluid of some form that has electrolytes, carbohydrates um, incorporated into it. So that varies as well. So it's been anything from Gatorade to a special – can't even remember the name of it, but one that's got uh, a different form of carbs that is um, digested in a different part of the gut. Um and there have there's been the odd marathon where I've just had water as well. I've sort of over the years just played with different strategies and it depends a lot on how warm the marathon is. Yeah, I was gonna um, say that
0: it does, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. Mm. So sometimes I haven't had access to the the drink that i wanted so i've gone with something similar in that particular country mm-hmm. and yeah i i generally try to have something every five kilometers
0: right and do you have a a, a current favorite gel
1: uh so the last marathon i did i had the talk gels oh they're my favorite yeah and i loved the apple crumble and banoffee
0: apple crumble's my favorite because it it is sweet but it's not Sickly, yeah, 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 yeah,
1: and then there's a um, berry fruits or yes. something as well. Yeah,
0: it's funny that they're my favourite. So yeah. I play around with a lot of different types of gels. Yeah, they're too. hard
1: to source though. The talk they runs, are. So I, I buy them online
0: them. from Wiggle in yeah, big boxes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And Jess you have also alluded to injury over the years so I guess one of the really important things for professional athletes is to try and avoid injury so it doesn't interrupt your training so what are some of or a or some of the injuries you've suffered from and how have you dealt with that?
1: So I've had two um, bone stress injuries, um, one on each side in the second metatarsal. Mm -hmm. They were challenging, but the first one definitely more so because it was all new to me and uh, I had to take that time off running to let my foot heal. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the second one actually happened in the lead-up to the Rio Olympics and I was a much better cross trainer at that point. In my first injury, I'd literally get on the elliptical and just go at the same pace or effort for, you know, an hour, 10 to an hour and a half. But by the time I was injured the second time, I'd started doing, um, like fart leg sessions on the, oh, okay. uh, on the elliptical trainer to break it up. And yeah. in the pool, I was getting more creative. And so when I, um, became pregnant and I had decided to stop running, I uh was able to sort of jump on the cross training equipment Perfect. and I had all of these strategies and ways to keep myself motivated from the injuries I'd experienced. So I think um yeah, look injuries are tough but you've always just got to put it in perspective and my brother Jack is great at that he's had some really nasty injuries throughout his football career and he's one for just thinking well what matters most in life it's you know family and, and health and and uh I guess just reminding yourself that you can still um, get a lot of joy out of every day, even though you're injured. You've just got to focus on what you can do in that day. To that's right. To that's good advice <laughs> from your brother. And I mean, football's notorious
0: for injuries. It's such a rough sport, isn't it? My mm-hmm. my son's torn his ACL playing football. He's all right yeah. now. That was a couple of years ago. But yes, it's a it's a tough one. So, Jess, what keeps your passion for running alive?
1: It's something I think about a bit, like for as long as I can remember, I've always wanted to get the most out of myself and sort of reach my potential. So I've always had that drive Mm -hmm. to explore my potential. But I think now it's more than that. I think I just, like I love life and I love seeing other people happy and, you know, I guess leading healthy lifestyles. And if I can sort of help to... Um, excite people about um, doing those things and inspire younger kids to to be active and you know be as healthy as they can I think that brings me a lot of happiness so when I'm out there running now I feel like it's it's a it's much more than just trying to achieve that goal of you know getting to the line as fast as I can it's sort of about you know bringing people with me and I just yeah yeah. and
0: being there and being part of it yeah Um, I saw Jess running in the recent Adelaide she was competing in the half marathon and there was a marathon happening at the same time and it was I just love those events because (laughs) you just get so many people out there they're all trying their hardest they come in all different shapes and sizes and abilities and ages and Mm. And I think that's really inspiring. Mm -hmm. And for the people running that to see people like you there, Jess, is inspiring as well. So Mm -hmm. that's amazing.
1: I'm the same with when you see someone running past and you see them really just, you know, there's so much grit and yeah. you can tell they're hurting and then they see a family member or a friend and the way that like lights them up and you can see they you know pick themselves yeah. up and I, they're the moments that really make it for me. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's incredible, isn't it? It's such a – the other thing I love about running as a sport is – Pretty much anyone can do it. the The barriers to entry are low, <laughs> unlike yeah. triathlon, for example, where you need a lot of gear and you and it know it can be really expensive. It's really as well. expensive. Mm. Running, it's it's not. It doesn't mm. need to be. So,
1: and I think too, when you're running and you're wanting to, I guess, improve your running, you start to make other lifestyle choices that are aligned with that. So you yep. start to see people thinking about, you know what they're eating, how they're fueling, um, trying to, you know, get quality sleep. And yeah, absolutely. That's another great aspect.
0: <laughs> and it also, as we all know it, it helps with your mental health as well. Yes, so. absolutely. Jess, if there's people out there listening to this podcast who are runners, do you have a couple of training tips on perhaps, for example, how they could improve their times?
1: I think to improve times, a big one is the, the lifestyle choices mm-hmm. you make. So... Training consistently is the key, but if you're, you know, perhaps not um, fueling well, getting enough energy, um, getting the right food in to recover, Uh, And if you're not getting enough sleep and giving yourself the opportunity to adapt positively to your training, Mm -hmm. you're not going to make those gains. And then another aspect is variation. So I think not just going out for a a run and giving your body the same stimulus every time, changing it up, doing some heels, perhaps maybe adding in some fartlek, like that change of speed or some intervals. And I know there is a potential risk that comes with that, um, with injury, but if you sort of really um, be gradual with the progressions that you add in and and get some advice from a health provider who can, you know, just check you over and and make sure there are no big red flags to you starting that sort of training. Yeah, I
0: totally agree. I, I remember reading somewhere, um, you can't expect to run fast in a race if you never train fast. Yeah, so, exactly. You know, you've got to. You can't. You can't train at race pace all the time, obviously. But you do need to stress your body a bit, don't you? and yeah. get it used to going fast or and faster.
1: I think if you're, um, you know, pretty pressed for time, you can get a lot of bang for your buck by doing some you know, some interval training yeah. or something as opposed to just going out for a jog every day. So trying to if you've got three opportunities to run in the week, maybe make those three runs a bit different. <laughs> yeah, I think that's great advice. And what about
0: goal setting, Jess? You you said very early on in the podcast that your coach at the time got you to write down your goals. So mm. do you, you is goal setting something that you use personally?
1: Yeah, it it is. So I always have sort of that longer-term goal, and it's been, to be honest, really hard to set goals in the current climate yes. because I don't know which races will be going ahead. And Absolutely. But that just, I guess it reinforces how important it is to also set process goals, so those things that you do every day that mm-hmm. help you to move forward. So it might be as simple as, um, you know, having a banana and yogurt within half an hour of finishing a session or something, you know, just getting those habits, um, I guess, formed so that you uh, make the most of every day, but then the shorter, so they're the sort of immediate goals, I guess. Then you've got, you know, the goals each week of, completing your training sessions to the best of your ability and then you might have some race goals in the medium term and then your kind of ultimate dream but whatever your goals are I think you've really got to take satisfaction from ticking them off and that's what helps me to enjoy the process is really having those goals some are written down some are just in my head Mm -hmm. sharing you know them with my coach and then you know taking a moment to reflect and enjoy when you do well
0: that's a really good um, way to look at it as well to actually reflect on what you've done and the goals that you have ticked off and that just reminds me too I forgot to ask you about the um postponement of the 2020 olympic Games in tokyo uh, mm-hmm. because of coronavirus um, were you planning to go to the games this year or
1: I was hoping to you hoping to a, yeah it was a big goal but I was very open-minded about it because obviously I'd just given birth. Yes, that's why I asked. (laughs) I was thinking, was it
0: too close to having just had Billy or?
1: I would have needed to run the marathon qualifying time within six months of giving birth, but not just the qualifying time to finish in the top three, which uh, the slowest Australian at the moment who has posted a qualifying Mm -hmm. time has run 226.21, which is very fast. Yes. Um, So that's yeah, that I guess just shows how competitive it is at the moment. Um, so, Sinead, Lisa Waitman, and mm-hmm. Ellie Pashley are all incredible runners. And I was very realistic that um, it would be absolutely everything would have it'd to be a tough, be align a tough for ask. me to um, sneak into that top three. <laughs> and
0: how um, close or proximate to the games does the qualifying race have to be? So, you can't rely on a 2018 time for that one? Um,
1: No so it needed to have happened between December of 2018 I think or no January of 2019 and May of 2020 so I had until the end of May to run that time and now I think that's just been postponed as well so it's until May of 2021 now. That That might be quite good for you. Yeah we'll see (laughs) we just need to hopefully have some marathon opportunities. Yeah. It's hard to know what will become available. Exactly,
0: and you have to tailor your training to that race. And if you don't know when it's going to happen, it, it does present yes. some challenges. Oh, Jess, the other thing I wanted to ask you about, we have touched on the fact that you're a physiotherapist, but you also have a company called Rundies. <laughs> Can you tell us about that? What What's that?
1: So I moved to Melbourne for a year in 2015, and I remember at the time I had a few pairs of underwear that I'd purchased in America that I loved and I couldn't find them anywhere else. And I just thought, this is ridiculous that with most things like shoes and whatnot, you can just buy the same model, um, each time. And, um, I've, yeah, expressed my frustration, I guess, to my husband and at, a similar time my brother playing AFL he was wearing Speedos on game day well like this is a joke too yeah. AFL players wearing bathers uh, <laughs> to play but it's obviously a bit of a an opportunity yeah. here to to make sports specific underwear and yeah my husband being an engineer started like looking up the different materials and designs and how he could incorporate bamboo fabric because of its natural yeah. you know antimicrobial properties and and anyway, it just sort of uh, took off in that we got excited. We thought, well, runnies that's an obvious name yeah, for running fantastic. undies. <laughs> and, um, so we got the trademark for that. And uh, by early 2016, we had a product ready to sell and uh, Running Mums Australia were fantastic. We Brilliant. sent out a survey to them and they sort of wrote back, um, giving us an idea of what people actually wanted. And uh, we've just sort of gradually grown it since and it has just been a hobby um i guess and our ultimate goal is to be able to give back to the running community by having this brand that you know when uh, there are fun runs you know they can be prizes yeah great idea of athletes that we've supported through product but help to fund some of their flights to races and we'd love to be able to actually put on races one day we just want to use it as a i guess a platform to be able to support running and runners in some yeah, way. Yeah,
0: well, I think it's a brilliant idea because <laughs> I totally agree. I have very specific undies that I like to run in <laughs> and only those, pa- yeah. you know, particular ones. Yeah. Um, They have to be the right, you know, weight and all of that stuff. <laughs> Jess, you mentioned that you'd like to give back and you're an ambassador for some really wonderful charities. So perhaps you can tell us a little bit about um, those charities that you support.
1: Sure. So what well, would have been about in 2012, I think I became an ambassador for the Little Heroes Foundation here in Adelaide. And they support really ill children and their families who perhaps can't get support through other um, organisations. Mm-hmm. And it's been really... Challenging at times seeing what some families go through but at the same time really rewarding to see what the foundation can offer mm-hmm. those families in the way of sometimes you know carer yep. support or something as simple as you know parking which can be really expensive if you say from the country coming in yeah. and your child's receiving treatment and um, all of the expenses add up so the little heroes are amazing, and then my mum lost her mother to bowel cancer when my mum was only sixteen, and so I've been um, working with the Jody Lee Foundation as an ambassador Fantastic. for many years, as well since two thousand and thirteen, and and that's a beautiful you know charity that yeah. basically creates awareness, um, encourages people to to take the screening test because the prognosis is so much more positive Absolutely. if you catch bowel cancer early so they're doing incredible things <laughs> yeah
0: they're fantastic and they've they've really built such a high profile now i think they've really done an amazing amazing job mm, mm. yes and jess i can't resist asking you about Eliud kipchoge's sub two hour marathon I know that it was, it, he had very specific conditions to do that. Mm. Um, and he had paces and all sorts of things, amazing shoes and all the rest. Do you think we'll ever see that in race conditions?
1: Look, I think if we're going to, it could be this Sunday. <laughs> uh, the London Marathon's very different this year. They're running 19 laps of a 2.2k loop. Oh,
0: how boring.
1: <laughs> it is, but that's how he ran, like his. Yeah. His sub two attempts, he doesn't seem to need the crowd around him. He can just zone in and this time it will be a race, but they'll be going out at a very quick pace. He's got, um, you know, some phenomenal – some of the best runners in the world there with him, you know, Bikili. Yeah. uh, I think because they'll have the opportunity to fuel more often with the the format, uh, there'll be less distractions, I guess. I don't know. It'll be really interesting to see. And probably –
0: yeah, less distractions or less less of a crowd, I guess. Mm, yeah. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. Oh well, we'll have to keep our our eyes peeled on that <laughs> one. Yeah, I I love him. He's so inspirational. Isn't he amazing? Yeah, he's he's such a humble man, isn't he? He's so he profoundly talented, but he really thinks about others the whole time. He's incredible.
1: Well, like an example of that was in um, Toronto, the massage therapist there. I was um, receiving a massage a day or two before my race and he said that he's been to Kipchoge's camp and uh when he arrived, uh he went into the, the room and Kipchoge was there making his bed for him. And I oh. was in Putting the sheets, or actually physically nails and hammered, oh, wow. like putting <laughs> constructing a bed for him. So there were all of these people there, and it was Elliot himself who was who yeah, was putting this bed together it. for him. Yeah,
0: that kind of sums him up, I think. Mm, exactly. Um, yeah, and Jess, who inspires you?
1: Oh, a lot of people. Look, I have to say, my family, um, for one, I just. You know, Mum and Dad, the way they've gone about raising the three of us has been incredible. They're always there to support yeah. us, but they've never pushed us into anything we, we didn't want to do. And, you know, they're examples of two people who love their sport and just live, Um, they stay true to themselves. Yeah. And I just feel this unwavering, I guess, yeah, love and support from yeah. Mum and Dad Um, and my siblings as well, Jack and Abby. Yeah. And then I guess, you know, Benita, who I said I met at the Sydney 2000 Olympics, you know, she lives in Queensland today and she's just so supportive of runners and she's always been there for me if I've had any questions. And she's just, she holds the um, Australian marathon record of 222.36 and she's just a really down to earth person who has just some phenomenal times and experiences Mm -hmm. to her name.
0: When um you lined up with her in London, did she know that she'd signed your Olympic um, ticket or
1: I'd told her you told about her? it, yeah. yeah. And yeah. true to sort of character, she just sort of laughs it off like it wasn't a big deal, but I have but so much. For to you make it her was, for. yeah. <laughs> Isn't that
0: wonderful? Um and the final question that I like to ask all my guests is if you could recommend two things that people could do to improve their well-being, what would they be?
1: Ooh, it's a topical one at the moment. I really think there is the opportunity to be excited and inspired every single day. And I think making the most of that opportunity, doing some things in the day that make you excited and you don't have to write down a gratitude list but occasionally just check in and think like how good is it that I can do this you know yeah. right now we're looking out and it's oh, blue it's sky so beautiful and yeah. greenery and you know for me when I go out for that um relaxed jog and can enjoy my surroundings and you know I love nature really just soaking up that moment every day whatever it is that you enjoy doing and I think those little um Moments add up to just fuel you. Yeah. So I think just being aware of what makes you happy and and soaking up that moment each day. Um, The other one would be, I guess, being in positive relationships. So I think being around people who do make you feel excited about life (laughs) and and valued and yeah,
0: um, understood and
1: yeah. And it can be hard. Some people find themselves in negative relationships, and it's scary. And I think just taking that brave step towards finding someone, um, even if it's a, a professional or another mm. friend who you can talk to about it, to try and work out a you know a way to yeah. bring more positive than.
0: <laughs> yes, I think that's very good advice. You sort of have to. Be aware of what's going on around you, and and um, and I guess if you are giving off kind vibes, you'll probably attract them as well. Exactly. Mm.
1: And then this is a third one, but I am such a big believer in the value of um, good nutrition. Yeah. You know, having a balanced diet, I yeah. think that without fail um, can affect. Um, yeah, like. Not only your physical performance, but your, your mental performance. Absolutely, you reducing some of the nasties and focusing on getting the really good. And
0: real food. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think if you could say one thing, it would be, you know, stay away as much as possible from processed foods. Yes. Mm. Yeah,
1: that's sort of been my mantra. Naturally, I'm going to have a bit, you know, here well, every day. Well, gels are there'll processed, be, aren't exactly, they? So, exactly. Yeah, um, there will yeah. be... There'll be times where I have it for either convenience or um, for performance in that case, but if you can try and incorporate as much real food as possible into your diet. Yeah,
0: Yeah, I think that's also excellent advice. Jess, thank you so much. So if someone wants to follow you and check out what you're doing, what's the best place to do that?
1: Uh, I probably use Instagram more than any other platform, and that's, um, what is it, at Jess underscore trend. And then Facebook, I think it's just Jessica Trengove Athlete. I haven't been able to bring in my married name yet. They make it quite hard to change oh, your okay. social media <laughs> handles. And then um, I think Twitter, I'm at Jess Trengove, but I'm not that active on Twitter, I'd oh, say.
0: I'll put links um, sure. in the show notes. Well, thank you so much, Jess.
1: My pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. <laughs> Great. Thank you.
0: And that was the lovely down to earth and very fast Jewel Olympian Jess Trengove sharing her considerable expertise on running and more. Thank you for listening today and I do hope you enjoyed my chat with Jess Trengove. If you did, please share the podcast and tell your friends about it. And if you could take a minute to leave a rating on Apple Podcasts, it will help people find my podcast. If you would like to subscribe to Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast, you can subscribe on all good podcast providers like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Spreaker, Overcast, iHeartRadio and Google Podcast. You can also subscribe on YouTube. Please follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast and also please check out my website at www.amandaswellbeingpodcast.com where you can contact me via the contacts page. Feel free to suggest topics you'd like to learn more about and people you'd like to hear interviewed, and I will do my best to deliver that to you. Producing the podcast is a labour of love. It has become my full-time job, to which I dedicate a lot of time, money and effort. If you enjoy my podcast and would like to support it, I would be so grateful. You can make contributions via my Patreon page, which I must admit is still a work in progress, or via PayPal, both of which you can access from the support page on my website. I'll put a link in the show notes, so please do check it out. Another way you can support my podcast is by purchasing a book from the book reviews page on my website. If you click on the Amazon link there, at no extra cost to you, I will receive a small commission when you buy a book. Thank you for tuning in. Eat well, move well, think well.